We are back with more content for 2020. It's the fourth year of the podcast. We launched our first episode in 2016. That's 17, 18, 19, 20. I guess this is the fifth year. How does time work? Anyway, I just want to thank you for listening. Right now, we're doing a special series on founders with diabetes, and today's episode is no different. I'm interviewing Zach Schreier from Quavos, which is a egg white-based snack out of the Chicago area. So I'm really excited to share with you Zach's type 1 diabetes journey, as well as parts of the diabetes that went into building his business, as well as some of the challenges that he faced along the way. My goal for this series is to A, talk about what I know, which is entrepreneurial endeavors with diabetes and how that sometimes plays into the background as well as the foreground of the business, and B, just to give you guys some inspiration of some awesome people who may not be exactly in the forefront of some of the brands that you may know and love, but uh, are up and coming and are really setting the stage for a world where people with diabetes can do anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be running a lot of marathons or climbing big mountains, uh, but just everyday victories, which I think are super inspiring. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Zach Schreier. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for continuing to listen to Diabetics Doing Things. We've been doing this for four years now, thanks to listeners like you and the support of amazing sponsors like Real Good Foods. If you're involved in the diabetes online community, then you have for sure heard of Real Good Foods and their low-carb pizza and enchiladas, which are delicious. But they've really outdone themselves this time with their new breakfast sandwiches. It's just like your typical breakfast sandwich, sausage, egg, and cheese, or bacon, egg, and cheese, except the biscuit is made out of cauliflower, and the whole sandwich has only two net carbs. That's two net carbs. And if you pop it in the microwave, it's ready in seconds. I'm not a big breakfast guy because I don't like having to deal with big blood sugar spikes for a high-carb breakfast. But when I'm really craving a breakfast sandwich, I grab a real good food sandwich out of the freezer and hit the road without having to worry about a big spike in my blood sugar. Check out realgoodfoods.com to find them in a store near you or use code Rob Howe, that's me, to get a discount when you order the sandwiches online. I'm a big fan of brands who continue to support creators with diabetes and there has been no bigger supporter of me and my friends in the diabetes community than Real Good Foods. If you haven't checked them out yet, give them a shot and let me know what you think. And now let's get back to the episode. Okay, sounds good. Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all across the world. And in this series, we're focusing specifically on founders with diabetes. And so my very special guest today, Mr. Zach Schreier, uh, calling from, I believe, Chicago or the Chicago metro area. And he is the founder of Quavos. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. Really looking forward to it. Uh, me as well. So, Zach, why don't you give us a little bit of background for people who aren't as familiar with your story? Uh, how did you become a part of the type 1 diabetes family? What's your diagnosis story? Sure. Um, so, in sixth grade, I was just, uh, you know, growing like a, a normal kid. And all of a sudden, I got really, really lanky. Um, I lost about 25 pounds over the course of a month um, as I was, you know, growing in height. And uh, my family was friends with a few doctors who said, basically, oh, this is just what happens. Kids get wiry at this age. Don't worry about it. And then I started feeling uh, a bit weak, um, uh, nauseous pretty frequently. And then uh, one day I just started uh, throwing up. And um, so the next morning, my mom took me to the hospital and my sugar was 666. Um, <laughs> and so uh, doctors knew immediately that uh, I was a type 1 diabetic. That's kind of a, obviously high blood sugar is never funny, but of all the numbers to get, 666 is a, a pretty funny one. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, obviously being like sixth grade, so you're like 12, 13 years old, maybe. Um, what was? What do you remember about the next few years or adjusting to your life with diabetes? Yeah, so actually I think I might have been uh, just about to turn 12 at that point. Um, and I was always uh, pretty analytical. I liked uh, strategic games and um, that kind of thing. I love math. And so I think, of, you know, of all the people to get diabetes, I was actually uh, not a bad pick. Um, so uh, I remember actually on, on the way home from the hospital, uh, my mom had reminded me that the nurses at the hospital suggested I take a, a food journal where I write down my sugars and, and uh, what food I'm eating and uh, track my, my, uh, uh, my, my insulin needs and that sort of thing that way. Um, and I remember saying, you know, mom, I, I really don't have to do that, do I? said of course you do this is a really serious uh illness and you need to be as responsible as possible and so i took that to heart and uh immediately started running experiments so i I would uh, check myself 20 or 30 times in the morning um just to see how quickly my sugar fluctuated when doing different things um and i uh i think i pretty thoroughly annoyed the nurses i was supposed to be working with because i would call them daily and you know report on my my findings and ask a bunch of questions um, but I, I found that was actually a very good way to learn how to manage the disease because I discovered a bunch of things pretty early on that I've, I've used ever since. So uh, at that point, I had uh, discovered that, uh, you know, in particular, how sensitive I am to every gram of sugar. Um, I recognized my insulin sensitivity. I discovered a few things about, uh, like, morning syndrome, which I, which I know it's not called, um, uh, that, and that was especially applicable to me. My sugars would rise pretty in, in the early morning um, and then uh, also discovered uh, things about you know my baseline uh, fasted sugar movement um, correction all, all that sort of thing um, and I, I use many of the same uh, numbers or at least the same intuitions that I developed at that point so it was maybe three months of really rigorous note-taking and then uh, then I sort of had it uh, mostly figured out um, and then uh, fast forward a few years I became a cross-country runner, and so that was a whole new set of, uh, of concerns and, uh, and all sorts of new trends in my sugars. Um, and so I guess at that point, I started figuring out again, using the same sort of uh, tactics, just being really thorough with my, my documentation. Um, so it was, I'd say, it was certainly an adjustment, but um, uh, it, it wasn't as, as terrible as it could have been uh, had I not you know, thoroughly embraced uh, the need to understand what was going on. And, you know, you bring up a good point. Uh, your personality sort of fit the needs and the management aspect of what diabetes brings to the table. Uh, it's interesting that you're talking about when you're adding something new, like a new activity or a new uh, hobby, like cross-country running or a new type of exercise. Whatever people ask me about those things, I always recommend what you're talking about is journaling uh, and just, you know, it, taking into that sort of, now cliche entrepreneurial type slogan of like what what gets measured gets managed uh, so do you find that that sort of systems thinking has served you well you know in other you know diabetes exploits or as your life has changed since diagnosis yeah i think so um you know uh documentation is always uh it's got like a uh it's got pros and cons um uh, double-edged sword because uh obviously you can get pretty uh pretty analytical um, to a point where it's useful and then to a point where it may be cumbersome. Um, and so I think probably uh, for me, I've, I've 
because of the diabetes and because of my personality, just trended towards uh, accumulating more and more information over time. And so I track a bunch of different things. And I'm sure it started with, uh, with the sugars. Um, but I track sleep and um, exercise data, heart rate, heart rate variability. Um, uh, I track uh, supplement consumption, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, I even write down uh, thoughts pretty, pretty uh, consistently pretty much every day. And I found um, it's, it, it's very nice to be able to look back and see, uh, you know, what, what certain things did to my sugars or how I responded to exercise in the past or how my heart rate responded to different uh, daily activities or bedtime. Um, but it's also sort of a hassle to, um, to always be documenting things as I go. So I think I have to, you know, continue to find a balance there. Um, but uh, certainly that has been helpful uh, in many of my entrepreneurial exploits. So in particular, um, I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit uh, in a few minutes, but um, in particular when formulating my, uh, my low-carb chip product, um, it was very, very helpful to be formulaic um, and document every result. Uh, and I'm sure that, that, uh, that made the R&D process uh, much smoother. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that then. So Quavos, uh, like you said, is a you know, low-carb uh, snack. Really, I guess I would describe it mostly like a chip um, and I, I have heard you uh, and your co-founder talking about that on uh, some of the different interviews that you guys have done uh, over the past couple of years, uh, you and Nick, when you're going on TV and things, talking about what Quavos is. Why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory on where the idea came from? And then I'm also really curious about the name. So how about you give us the, uh, the I guess, the 10,000-foot view of uh, where Quavos came from and you know what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll happily talk about both those things. Um, so uh, on the, the backstory, uh, I'm sure I'm like many diabetics and that I discovered eggs and cheese, uh, items like that were really pretty nice uh, for snacking because um, they're nutritious, nutritious enough, but you don't have to worry about uh, uh, counting up the carbs in, in eggs or things like that. So I had a habit of uh, just uh, frying cheese on a pan or a microwave or uh, cooking eggs every night just so I could avoid the extra, the extra shot. And uh, I realized that um, those flakes that uh, sometimes stick to a, a pan after making eggs, uh, they're sort of like chips. They were crunchy, and um, if you salted your eggs, they were sort of like salty like potato chips. And, um, and this was pretty early on into being a diabetic that, you know, that struck me. Um, and I've heard from a lot of people that they've had similar experiences. They love those flakes. Uh, and, you know, many diabetics have discovered that sort of thing, too. Um, and so, you know, initially, uh, probably in seventh or eighth grade, I had thought about these as, as like, low-carb chips, uh, great for diabetics. And then um, the keto diet started taking off a couple years ago when I was a sophomore in high school. And I was thinking, huh, you know, those low-carb chips are, like, seem, like, slightly more universally appealing. And uh, my best friend uh, agreed with me. Um, he, he had tried the chips back when uh, I was first playing around with them. He thought it was a good idea then, and then you know it struck him that it was an even better idea now. And uh, so he actually took it to an incubator at his university, the uh, University of Chicago, and um, he applied with a couple friends. And I, I was at a different university at the time, and uh, so I was you know talking with them and, and working on the pitch with them on the side. And uh, they actually walked away from that incubator with a victory and a big check uh, to get the company started. And 
so uh, after that semester, uh, my co-founder Nick and I both decided to take the next year off of school. And so we spent uh, what would have been our junior years just working on this company. And uh, my job was primarily uh, the uh, R&D role and then also strategizing with Nick. And Nick was uh, more focused on uh, the uh, raising money and, um, uh, yeah, I guess raising money, setting up manufacturing. Um, but we spent the whole year working on that. And now we have a product that's selling really well on Amazon. We're in 200 stores on the East Coast. Uh, we will be expanding into uh, healthy, natural grocery stores across the country over the next couple of years. That's exciting. And I, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, you talked a little bit about you and Nick's, you know, dividing of responsibilities as founders. Um, so I have a lot of questions there. I think, first of all, talk to me about what the conversation was like with your parents um, when you were you know, you and Nick have obviously been working on this and they, I'm sure, were aware of you guys putting your time and effort into this. When you guys sat them down for that conversation of like, hey, we're going to drop out of school and pursue this opportunity. What what was that like? And were there any challenges or did you feel like your parents sort of knew, uh, you know, that your heart was set on this? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, first, uh, I uh, forgot to address your question about the name. Uh, so I'll just touch on that briefly. Sure, sure. Uh, um, so basically, you know, eggs in Spanish are huevos, and you see a lot of chip companies with uh, O's at the end of their name, you know, Doritos, Tostitos, um, even something like nachos, lots of, lots of different uh, uh, snacks have that kind of uh, ring to them. And uh, so we're thinking about huevos, uh, and then um, I guess the idea came to Nick, uh, like quick huevos, or eggs on the go. Um, and so... Uh, you know, lots of companies just use sort of uh, twists of normal words. Um, and uh, so we decided to go with that. And uh, that was in the running with a bunch of other names. And we just asked a bunch of people and took some surveys. And that came out the clear winner. Um, so we went with it. Uh, and then on the question about uh, the parental uh, support, uh, both of our parents, or rather both sets of parents, are uh, extremely supportive of uh, things like this. Um, our, our fathers are both uh, business people and um, our mothers are, uh, well, my, my mom was trained in law and Nick's mom is a, is a psychologist and, um, and they're, you know, they're, they've always been supportive of all the sort of entrepreneurial things we wanted to do. Um, and so it really came as no surprise that we were pursuing an idea. Um, now, of course, you know, parents want their kids to finish college. Uh, <laughs> and so I think uh, they, they really just needed to see that we had a game plan, that we were committed and interested in, you know, really uh, running with this. Um, and then it also helped that we had had some successes, like winning the business competition and then being accepted into the Craft Times uh, Springboard Incubator. Um, and uh, so just just being on, on uh, sort of already in some startup circles, uh, already seeing some early successes, convinced them that it would be a year well spent. Yeah, totally. I think obviously, you know, showing that commitment and showing that external feedback that's not biased, right? It's not just your friend saying this is good. Hey, we've gotten into these programs. It's time for us to pursue this full time. Um, you mentioned a game plan uh, and sharing that with your families. I'm curious, um, obviously, you're, uh, you're 22, 21 years old uh, at this point. So obviously, uh, a young entrepreneur and really, uh, you know, killing it in terms of you know, getting your career started. 
for you, what diabetes, uh, in terms of that game plan, what diabetes line items were there for you to consider in terms of, hey, I'm going to start this company. Um, you know, what, where does my diabetes fit into this entire equation? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess uh, at, at that point, uh, my diabetes was certainly under control and well managed. I've really not had an issue there. Um, but the, the, the real tie-in was that I was actually making a product that would help me out. So, uh, you know, a crunchy, low-carb snack that I wouldn't have to do a shot for was something I had been looking for. And uh, making eggs is great, but it's also a bit of a hassle. And so uh, this was just a really natural product to add to my life. And so I had that, that additional motivation of, you know, I'm making something that's good for me and it's good for other people. Um, and I can uh, certainly empathize with and, and share the experience of, of discovering a stack like this and really uh, uh, benefiting from it. So that, that was probably the, the primary way that the diabetes was related to the company. Um, but uh, it certainly also helped uh, the story. You know, people want to understand what sort of uh, personal story goes into a product like this. And I had so many people uh, listen to this story and really resonate with it because they had a similar experience, you know, needing, wh whether they were diabetic or not, uh, needing foods that work for them, uh, that were convenient um, and available that uh, maybe they didn't have until a product like this came along. Yeah, and I guess talk about that a little bit because I've, I've tried uh, the product. Uh, you guys sent me a, a box last summer and... Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to just like crack open a bag of chips, essentially eat the whole bag and not have to worry about dosing insulin or, or you know, a large like glucose excursion as, as the endocrinologists call it. Um, and also the snack tastes great. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm, I love salty snacks. So a salty, crunchy snack with no insulin requirements, that's like going to get a thumbs up for me. What is that? kind of feeling as an entrepreneur, as a person with diabetes, when people give you positive feedback about uh, either the, you know, processing of the, of the food or the taste, like what is it, how does it feel to get that positive feedback from the diabetes community? Oh, it's awesome. Um, it's, it's really exciting to, to have other diabetics that, uh, you know, really enjoy the snack as much as I do. Um, and it's, it's worth noting, uh, the, it's very difficult to make a chip out of eggs. And so we've dealt with all sorts of uh, issues, um, perfecting the formulation, getting the manufacturing to, to work. And so not only is it nice to hear that, uh, you know, the chip uh, tastes good and somebody's appreciating it and it works for them, but it's, it's great given our history of, you know, really struggling to, to get a chip that worked and that was uh, manufacturable. So um, I guess there's, there's, there's two parts to it. You know, it's, it's really nice that it's a good product, but... Um, it's also nice that we've made such progress on, on the products. Um, and so I, I imagine um, if you tried it last summer, then uh, you, uh, it was a good salty snack then, and now it's really uh, delicious salty snack. Um, so uh, we, should, we should send you another box. Hey, looking forward to it. Anytime I can get some, uh, some more Quavos, uh, count me in. Um, <laughs> Talk a little bit about, you mentioned some of the challenges, uh, you know, with R&D or with manufacturing. Um, I think in the U.S. especially, we typically glamorize entrepreneur and entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial endeavors as like, you know, hey, I'm owning my own destiny and starting my own company. And, you know, we see all the success, but we don't see a lot of the challenges and early maybe failures even. What what challenges or early failures did you encounter that helped you get to where you are today? 
So the, the biggest one was uh, actually making the product work. And that took, that took months and months of experimentation. Um, we, we went down a few different paths and uh, did not start so meticulous with the formulation process. Uh, we, you know, we, we were pretty rigid about what sort of ingredients we were willing to use. And so we thought there were only a few things available and then uh, basically just mixed a bunch of stuff together, tweaked a bit, and thought we had something that was close to like a local peak or local optimum. Um, but uh, basically we got pretty uh, consistently mediocre feedback on those early versions. And that, you know, that was certainly disheartening because we thought we were, um, you know, close to optimal given the constraints that we placed on ourselves. So the R&D process was really, uh, you know, figuring out what kind of constraints were really essential and which ones could be relaxed a bit, you know, what sort of things consumers were really looking for, which things that, you know, uh, which, which consumers we would have to sort of underserve in order to maximize the consumer experience for our main uh, target. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that sort of thing. They want to make something that works in every situation for everybody, but they realize that um, you really have to occupy a niche. It, you know, there's, there's no animal that works on the land, the sea, the mountains, the heat, the cold. You know, if you're going to proliferate in any sort of environment, extent of environment, you need to figure out what niche to occupy. And so it was a, you know, sort of a, an adaptive uh, process. And uh, we started thinking, you know, we wanted 20 grams of protein and zero or one net carb. We wanted three or four ingredients. Uh, all natural, gluten-free, dairy-free, uh, nut-free, all that. And we mostly stuck to uh, many of those um, constraints and spirits, but realized, you know, our, our, maybe our target customers have enough protein, and really what they care about is a delicious low-carb experience. And, uh, you know, maybe they don't need three or four ingredients. Maybe eight healthy ingredients uh, is, is good, too. And so um, it, was a, it was a lot of iteration, um, a lot of reconsideration, and uh, so it was, I, I think um, the most useful thing was to, to make something uh, that we thought was good and then go to people and see what they thought. Um, and collecting feedback was, was an essential part of that process. Totally. I want to I shift a little bit because I, um, in my business, uh, Recreation Dallas, which is my ad agency, uh, my business partner and I started it just over three years ago, and we've spent basically every day together in some capacity since then. Um, talk to me a little bit about being, you know, your business partner with Nick, who is, uh, from what I understand, like one of your lifelong friends. Um, what's that been like for you guys? And uh, what have you, you know, being involved in a business at an early stage with another person, um, you know, spending a lot of time together, what have you, what, how have you guys grown as friends and as business partners throughout that process? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the shared struggle of uh, just, of all the uncertainty that goes into running a business has been fruitful. It can also be really challenging. Um, but luckily, Nick and I, I think the, the essential thing is that we're good communicators and um, and we are comfortable uh, talking to each other about any differences or difficulties. And so we, uh, we've rarely had any conflicts um, or disagreements that we couldn't settle just by thinking through what it was that each of us thought was important. Um, you know, a, a couple of times, uh, as will naturally happen with that in any partnership, uh, you'll have some, some core disagreements about um, a, a direction. And uh, Nick's strategy is typically to go and just ask a bunch of people 
And at first I thought, you know, we should just work this out. We should just talk about our, our individual thoughts about this and then we could, you know, resolve it that way. But I think I've taken to Nick's uh, approach of, of just sort of crowdsourcing feedback. Um, that's, that's been very helpful. Um, and then I think probably something that Nick has gotten from me is a, a more um, cautious approach to add new uh, parts uh, to, the, to the business or to a plan. Um, I've got sort of a status quo bias when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, how to move forward with something. And uh, I think uh, Nick is much more of the um, sort of like, you know, add it to my plate type of mentality. Like, I'll, I'll just take it on. And I, I guess I'd say maybe I'm a bit more um, uh, lazy and economical. <laughs> so <laughs> I really would sort of select against new things that are coming onto my plate unless I think there's a really a need for them. And so I think a, a mix of our, uh, of our personalities has been useful for getting the, the sort of right amount of, uh, of new uh, uh, ideas and development into our, into our business and our flows. Um, so I, I think, I guess, um, it's not much advice, but uh, you have to find somebody that uh, will balance you out um, in, in order to really make a, a lasting relationship like this uh, fruitful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think something that I tell when people ask me about entrepreneurial ventures or whatever is finding the right partner, whatever that means. Uh, it sounds like, do you guys uh, thrive really in your differences? Uh, and also, you know, because when you're with somebody for that amount of time, like every day really working on solving problems together, your weaknesses and strengths can both be magnified at times. And so it's nice that uh, you have the other to either bounce the other perspective off of or learn from or, uh, like you said, pick up uh, different ways of thinking from the other, but then also trust that, you know, you both know each other and know how you're going to respond to something and that that's good. Um, so it's cool to see you know, how different founders work together. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's been a – oh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, not to worry. Um, I was going to say, you know, it's been an exciting journey for you guys up to this point over the last few years. Um, 2020, uh, what are you excited about? What are you most excited about for Quavos? Um, and, you know, what's next? What do you, I know you guys, I'm sure, have other products uh, long term in your pipeline, but what can you share with us about the direction of the company? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really exciting 2019. We went from, uh, basically only sales in a small market test in 2018 to really taking off in, in 2019. Um, we had a few great months at the start of the year where we sold out all of our version one products um, much quicker than expected. And then we did a Kickstarter that went uh, uh, fairly better than expected and, um, and then had a few uh, solid months at the end of the year of distribution to about 200 retailers around the country as well as on our own website. And then finally in December, uh, we launched on Amazon. So it was a, you know, a really exciting year. Um, obviously, uh, lots of challenges from product, product refinements to manufacturing process refinements uh, to some, you know, branding uh, considerations and all, all sorts of things like that. Um, but we worked out many of the kinks uh, in terms of distributing, distributing the product from our facility uh, online and to retailers. Um, and so we're excited to use this infrastructure that we've built to now get the product out to many more stores across the country, as well as expanding on Amazon and our own website. Um, we are, I can't say much about it, but we are um, in the process of signing with uh, a really exciting uh, retailer, and we think the channel is ideal for the product. 
So uh, check our website uh, come uh, May and June to figure out uh, which stores we've added, and I'm sure there's going to be some near you. Um, and uh, I guess in terms of other developments, uh, just looking forward to sort of adding a retailer, a large retailer every uh, quarter or uh, two quarters uh, from here on out. Um, we anticipate something big at the end of the year as well, although it's still in preliminary stages. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really it's going to be a, a process of just uh, of gradual expansion um, and uh, extending our manufacturing capacities and our distribution. Well, it's really exciting. I know that uh, you know when people listen to this podcast, one of the things they'll want to know is where to find uh, Quavos. So we'll for sure direct them to you guys' website for now. But also uh, looking forward to you guys sharing uh, the new distributors and new areas where new places where you can buy them, and hopefully uh, being able to walk into a store here uh, here near Dallas at some time in the near future and walk out with some Quavos. If I if I remember correctly. Uh, we will be in a few new stores uh, in the Dallas area in about six months with this new retailer. Um, but uh, people in Dallas and around the country don't have to wait that long um, or long at all. Uh, in fact, if you've got Prime, you'll have to wait two days because we are selling all of our flavors on Amazon right now. That's exciting. Well, uh, we'll for sure include a link to, uh, to the Amazon uh, link in the show notes of this podcast. Um, awesome. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. So Zach, um, kind of as we start to wrap up the interview here, um, for people with diabetes, I know like we've talked a lot about the benefits, um, when, you know, you guys are putting all this work in this, uh, into this product and you understand deeply, like, obviously you're working on taste, you're working on product development, but when, you know, somebody with type one diabetes picks up this product or puts it in their cart on Amazon, what do you want them to think about, uh, Quavos? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I, I guess uh, from the business side, you know, we uh, the most important thing is uh, consumers really do want to resonate uh, with the with the products they're eating. People are much more uh, product conscious than they ever have been before, and um, it, it's important to note, uh, I think, as a, as a, a consumer of our products, that we really do care about the customer experience, and that's that's the first thing. And so we've designed this product. Uh, cutting no corners. We use uh, the highest quality ingredients at, uh, you know, uh, at a cost to our own margin. And, um, and uh, we've taken care every step of the way to formulate the product with uh, diabetics and other uh, low carb dieters in mind. Um, and so uh, reach out, let us know what you like, let us know what you don't like, let us know if you want another flavor. Uh, we're very responsive. And uh, Nick or I, or uh, one of our um, other employees will get back to you uh, that day or the next day, um, and we'll be super excited to hear from you. And then um, I guess the other thing is uh, keep your eyes peeled for more developments from uh, Quavos. We're going we're gonna to be launching new products in the, in the coming years, um, all with uh, egg white at the base um, and a low-carb focus. Um, so this is uh, it's, it's an awesome product, uh, but it won't be the only one. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what you guys come up with and the continued growth and success of Quavos. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be on the lookout for announcements to where I can get them uh, here in Dallas. And I'm going to be adding some to my Amazon cart here in the meantime. So um, Zach, before we head off, obviously you guys are online and on social media. Where can you find uh, Quavos to reach out or to to learn more about you guys? And uh, anything else uh, that you'd like to, any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave for uh, the listeners of the podcast? Yeah, uh, 
Awesome. So uh, you can find us at Quavos.com. Quavos is Q-U-E-V-O-S. Um, if you go on Amazon, it will be uh, the first uh, listing for Quavos. Um, I think at this point also for egg white chips. Um, and then uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, we post pretty much daily. Uh, and the tag is at Eat Quavos. Um, and uh, we've got a, a minor Facebook presence. Um, and so you can, you can type our name in on Facebook and find us there. Uh, and then uh, you can find me or Nick on LinkedIn as well. Um, and then uh, in terms of other things that I would want uh, somebody to know, um, I guess uh, uh, generally about, uh, about diabetes, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had a lot of guests talk about uh, developments and progress, the technological changes in their lifetime. But uh, I guess it's, it's a, as far as being a diabetic goes, it's a really exciting time to be a diabetic because it, it does seem like a lot of things are, uh, are changing pretty rapidly. Um, and so I guess uh, I, uh, I share the excitement of the community. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting few years for, for all of us. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Uh, yeah, this is a great time. I think, you know, it's easy to say, but it really, if you really dig into it, I think it is the best time to, uh, if you have to live with type 1 diabetes, now is the best time to be alive with it. So uh, I'm glad that uh, things like the internet and uh, friends can connect people like us and, uh, you know, add a lot of value back to that community. So thank you for your time today. Thanks again for listening. Please follow us on Instagram. Check out our sponsor, Real Good Foods. Uh, We're diabetics doing things on all the major platforms, and we also are available on Spotify. So if you prefer Spotify or you're a subscriber, uh, check it out. I definitely have listened to more on Spotify in the recent years. They've got a lot of great podcasts, and it's just super easy to uh, shuffle from music to podcasts and back and forth. Leave us a review if you have a chance, and tell a friend with diabetes about this podcast. That's the best endorsement and the best support that you can provide. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.